Hello and welcome to another episode of Mere Fidelity, where we have conversations about theology, culture, and the life of the church in the world. Uh, today's a bit of a special edition. We've got two guests with us. It, it is me, Matt Anderson, but we also have Adam Johnson, professor of theology at Biola University, and then our friend Pascal Emmanuel Gobri. He's a blogger at Patheos Catholic, uh, a businessman extraordinaire, and just an all-around character, fr- French Catholic troll of Protestants, <laughs> whose ministry <laughs> ministry is to convert people to kiss the papal ring through through Twitter trolling. Um, sorry, I'm, I'm just playing. Peg, <laughs> Peg, Peg and I have a, a great relationship, and we pray for each other. I believe. Um, so. We, we asked these guys on uh, to have a conversation about it, just a mild subject of no real controversy <laughs> uh, very, in the very church. Very simple. Very simple one. Uh, penal substitutionary atonement or penal representationary atonement, whatever way you want to call it. Um, we, and, uh, you know, roughly it's the doctrine that um, – Jesus' death on the cross was the divine means of dealing with and dispensing with guilt incurred by sinners in rebellion against the law. Um, you know, Jesus dies as an innocent representative person taking responsibility for human sin, suffering punishment on their behalf, and so forth. Uh, and there's different ways of parsing that the details. Adam Johnson is on because he is an expert on that, having written his dissertation on the subject and books on it, and then... Uh, Peg is on because we argued about it on Twitter one time. So because he's a that's, Twitter troll. That's that's it's the reality of it, honestly. And and I I wrote a thing once on the internet. So so that's and it's I'm part of the podcast. So that's the thing. Uh, so that's our subject is so and and I am here just because I just he doesn't have know, anything to do today. I like to hang so, on, I guess. So hanging okay. on to power. Matt doesn't want to leave things things. Uh, alone so just needs to make his voice heard so that's our subject is penal substitutionary atonement in a half hour that's we'll see how how much we get done um, <laughs> that should be enough that should be enough uh so just to intro it well i already introed it what i guess we'll, we'll we'll jump to it yay or nay and uh and we'll hand it over to um well, I hand it over to to Peg, and then and then and then probably Adam from there. So so Peg, what, what do you think? Yes or no? Uh, yeah or nay? Uh, well, my my answer would be nay. All right. Um, so you 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 want me to launch into the thing right away? Yeah, I mean, give, give me. Yeah, give, give me, us give us give us the main reason why right. you're opposed to it. I love to I love to just hear like the central like what what the worry is. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Thank all you. right. So my my main problem with it is that it seems to be premised, and I I you know one of the problems is whenever you talk about it, somebody says, "Well, that's a caricature." You know, the real doctrine is over there. But, <laughs> It seems to me that you can't get PSA without what I can only see is a distorted doctrine of sin, which treats sin as a thing that has its own existence so that it has to be dealt with somehow because God can't just decide to forgive sin. Sin has its own intrinsic existence. It's like a thing that exists. There's, you know, take your metaphor, it, there's a cosmic balance sheet to be balanced, there's a whatever. 
Uh, and so God can't just decide to forgive sin because sin is a thing that exists. And so he has to figure out some way and that's the cross. And I don't think that's true because sin is a relational reality. It's about your relationship with God and God can, in fact, just decide to forgive you. Um, and it doesn't cost him anything. It's just his own decision. You can then decide to refuse the forgiveness, which then costs you. But it doesn't actually cost anything for God to decide to forgive sins. He can just decide to do it. And once, you know, once that's in place, the whole logic of penal atonement just just goes away, it seems to me. Okay. Um, Ad, I have many, many thoughts, but Adam, you're our guest and actually have published on this. And actually know about this stuff, unlike me. <laughs> You know, I feel like I do, but I know you do. So, Adam, do you have any? You have a thought there? Uh, so, my, is my goal to, to to respond or just to answer the question? Either way. Uh, your call. Either way. All right. We're we're, we're you're among friends. So great, great. We'll give you full yeah, flexibility. it's not. I, All right. It's so, not like, so you know, it's I'll, not I'll, like. I'll try to. I'll just give my answer to the question, and then I'll weave it into a into a bit of a response. Um, I would. My, my, my answer is that I, I, I don't like the question, and that's because uh, embedded within it is sort of a, an implicit uh, way of understanding penal substitution as the way or the primary way of understanding Christ's work. So, so as, long, as long as we're only asking, you know, is this one part of what Christ is doing, then, um, then yeah, definitely um, penal substitution is a, is a vital aspect of what Christ is accomplishing uh, through his life, death, and resurrection. But um, on the other hand, it is not the, the only way. Uh, it's not a sufficient way. It's not the primary way the scripture develops that. Uh, the, the work of Christ is just one of many different components of what, of, of what God is doing through Christ. So I have a I have a, a, a limited um, way of of kind of honoring it where I de definitely want to honor it and it has a, a very important role in our theology. On the other hand, it's not comprehensive. It doesn't say everything that needs to be said. It's one part of what's going on. Yes, that's um, so. Yeah. And then so 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 in other words, it's a very qualified yes, definitely. <laughs> um, and then and then to weave that into a response to what Pascal just said. Um, you, know, you you just said that sin is a relational reality, and uh, as as I read through your your uh, your piece just uh, just the other day, um, I found myself you know resonating with so much of what you were saying, um, but I found myself resonating it with it in a way that I wanted to affirm it and then add more to it. Um, so sin sin is a relational reality, absolutely. Um, the question then is is it more things than that. So is, is that is that sufficient or is that just one aspect or is that one dimension since you're coming from another dimension to speak to us is it is it just one dimension of what sin is? Because um, you know sin, the Bible will explore uh, sin in in very physical terms uh, in terms of impurity or uncleanness uh, in terms of disease uh, it'll talk about it in in judicial categories in terms of guilt and in terms of burdens and it'll also use very relational categories it'll use um, 
categories from the sacrificial system having to do with holiness, which while relational also have a very physical element to them. So uh, the, the way that I would begin responding to what you said is uh, by trying to affirm the relational component, but then wanting to add other elements to it as well. And that's where I'd bring in penal substitution. Yeah, and I think I would just add, and develop, I, for, for me, because it's my turn now, um, <laughs> for... <laughs> <laughs> for me, I want to affirm everything Adam just said. Uh, for me, penal substitution is not the only dimension of of Christ's atoning work. There are victory elements. There are exemplar elements. There are uh, going on into the resurrection, ontological elements. Um, Jesus gets a lot of work done uh, through his life, death, and resurrection. <laughs> so let's give him credit for everything. Amen. But but what I would say is that there is clearly, a I think, a clear legal dimension. And what I would say is not only is it relational, yes, but I would say le- legality is a relational reality. So script, in Scripture, our relationship with God is pictured, the relationship God has with Israel and with us and believers in the New Testament is a covenantal one. And the category of covenant is both legal and relational at the same time. There are, there is, there are oaths, there are bonds, uh, there's stipulated curses and promises that are connected to this legal relational reality. And, and I actually think that the, what penal, re, penal substitution does is it deals with actually not an ontological substantial treating sin as a thing reality. It's treating with the legal relational reality that that the violation of the covenant, uh, both Adam's violation, later Israel's violation, and us in that, um, is a violation of law. And it's a violation of God's law, uh, which is an expression of his will, an expression of his being. It's not an arbitrary set of standards. It's a very personal thing that God's commands are an expression of God's own personal will. And an assault on God's commands is an assault on God's own personal reality. And so there's a personal violation. And, and what it's actually aimed at is not so much sin as a, as, a, as a thing, but guilt as a status, guilt as a reality that adheres to my person, um, that I bear my guilt because of actions I've committed. And, and, and sin, sin is a relational reality obviously and idolatry i think is a fundamental category but it, sin in scripture is often described as law breaking right in, in in first john sin is lawlessness and and in most of the old testament there is a legal dimension in which case the violation of sin leads to the curse of the law a punishment a penal curse uh in, imposed and 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 stipulated by god by his word that he only that element of dispensing with um you can only get that if you have a very nominalist view of the law i think in that god well god has a law and he said yes i would i will punish for x y and z but you know in this case i decide not to so i'm just going to simply dispense with that um there's been debates in the church there's been debates among theologians about the necessity of of these things, but I think that there's, um, you have people in the tradition saying, well, I mean, even it's not just Calvin. I mean, you get it back. I think Chrysostom and Athanasius and people have that element of God says sin will lead to death and curse and punishment. And should God then say, well, never mind, uh, it's, it's a violation of God's own word. God is not being consistent with himself. 
So it, it's not a law that's extrinsic to himself. It is, it is a, his own personal self-consistency that is at stake, amongst other things. So that's, that's part of what I, where I'd go with, with my response to Pascal, some of it. Yeah, so I, th- so I think there, I mean, there's a lot of questions here. Yeah. And um, uh, Derek, I think you can, I mean, it, within that very long, very wonderful, uh, very excellent exposition of the view, you know, there are certain moves that um, you made that seem to tie together things that uh, may not necessarily be tied together. So, you know, the, the move, for instance, from um, saying that sin will lead to death yes, to um, a move where that death is a kind of um, punishment, which is extrinsic to the sin itself, a punishment which is added above right. and beyond um, the nature of the sin itself is, I think, a, a, a fundamental question here. I mean, because the, if the intuition is something, yeah, go for it, Peg. No, right. I mean, I maybe you were about to say the same thing, but absolutely, it, you know, there's punishment for sin, but it's a self-imposed punishment. Yeah, and it's, I don't even know that I would frame it that way. It's 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 a um, it's not so much a self-imposed punishment as um, the punishment for sin is the intrinsic effects of the sin itself yeah right um yes um, but that's that's occurring well, and so far and so as it's... the sin is freely chosen yeah yeah but yeah basically we're yeah yeah, the yeah same that's time. right yeah yeah, yeah. And, and i so i see well i'm curious what adam thinks because i'm what I, I i get there's i see in scripture both extrinsic and intrinsic language uh, when it comes to punishment and sin, there is an intrinsic and an extrinsic dimension in the same way the reform tradition has talked about um, active and passive wrath, which is you have to deal with wrath if you're going to deal with this. Is it there is wrath that flows where God hands you over, but then there's that element of, well, he's still handing you over to it. God's there's no depersonalizing of that reality. But Adam, would you how would you parse that? I'm curious in response. <clears throat> No, that's for me. That's the primary challenge: is to not not reduce things too much. Um, any any time we're trying to talk about a theory of the atonement, we're trying to consolidate a wide you know a wide swath of material in the biblical or in the theological language, so that we can so we can talk about this event. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we're so we're doing a lot of consolidating, and as as long as we're aware that we're doing that, that's fine. But um, but also being careful to say, yeah, but there also is more to it. Because uh, the you know the Bible will talk about things being just th- th- this is what happens within us as the due as the due penalty uh, where where it's just a, it's just a part of because of how we are constituted when we sin these things happen uh, it'll talk about God um, you know decisively acting toward the sinner in a way that's this punishing where it's clearly a divine act uh, it, it'll cash it out in legal language it, it, it'll it'll explore the, the multiple dimensions of sin. Um, and, and my only problem is when someone will take one of those and say, that's all it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, 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 and all of that has to do, I guess, with just a really clear um, a need for a doctrine of creation where the things in creation are what they are because of what God has given them, the way that he has created to set them up, the natures he has endowed them with, so that natures are rooted in you know, the giving of God, you know, that, that he gave them this nature. So it's an intentional act on God's part, but they really do have this nature, but this nature is what it is in relation to God, 
So it has this kind of this complex relational aspect to nature and ontology. And if, if we use that when we're talking about atonement, that gives us really rich language. Yes. But if we reduce it to one of these elements, oh, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's just, sin is just the consequence in ourselves. Well, but it, it is that, but it's a lot more. And it seems like that, Adam, I mean, within that move of locating um, or, or moving back into kind of a doctrine of creation, it seems like one way of preparing the groundwork for, as it were, for um, penal substitutionary atonement would be to include within that doctrine of creation a conception of creatureliness that is itself intrinsically political uh, and even, dare I say, juridical, where part of our creatureliness um, as relating to God is uh, recognizing him as uh, king, as having a sort of claim over us as having a kind of um, authority that is uh, itself allow that that itself allows him to punish to um, to act towards humanity in ways that uh, we would view as punishment when we do things that are wrong and if that's itself a, a part of the creaturely status of humanity then when we do do wrong things then then the 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 terrain for PSA for uh, penal substitutionary uh, uh, atonement. It seems like there's there's more space for it as long as that's a part of our doctrine of creation, that and, political dimension. And as long as we don't reduce uh, the doctrine of you know the, the, the that created element to the merely judicial relation. Yeah, like, there are clearly other things going on, but but that 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 component is 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 there. It's both in the you know in the Genesis narrative in one through three. If you read. Um, recent commentaries and, and work on Genesis, they're they're unpacking the way that the narrative is crafted to do precisely that. It's covenantal. But then also the way the way that the image of God language is set up, not to sort of be a definition, but to, to be a, a relation which is established as we grow in our understanding of God through the rest of the Pentateuch. So you, there's a way of using the image of God to bring the material later in the Pentateuch back into that relation so that what it means expands as we grow in understanding of God. So there, there are two ways of bringing in that that judicial sort of suzerain, you know, connection uh, of this being the Lord of His creation. Yeah. Well, before I, I want to pull Peg in because he hasn't talked. I think one the one thing I would say to summarize all that in a sense is creation is inherently covenantal, which includes yeah. political, relational, juridical, all these relations. God is Father, King, Judge, all of these things. Initially, mm -hmm. inherently, um, but Peg, you, what, what? Give us something. I know you've got thoughts. Yeah. Uh, no, I I think this is great. Um, I I I definitely agree with the uh, the uh, strong covenant, the the importance of very strong covenantal language, and even creation itself being covenantal. Um, um, you know. Uh, I would warn you guys about uh, letting that influence your ecclesiology, but that's another question. <laughs> <laughs> hey, man, that's why I'm Presbyterian. Uh, yes. Guys, this is why you follow him on Twitter, okay? Just so you know. Uh, this is good stuff. This is classic, vintage. Go on, though. Um, but, uh, no, I... The uh, this is this is where Aquinas is good is he points out that 
as a divine judge, God actually, even within that context, even within that legal covenantal context, God can, God can actually decide to forgive sin because, I mean, again, we're, 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 we're back to square one because sin is ultimately, an, you know, he has that example, a human judge cannot just say, oh, well, you know, you stole this, but that's okay, I forgive you, because the offense isn't against the judge, it's against another person, it's against the state, it's against God. Uh, so the, so a human judge can, can't say that. But because God is infinite, and because every wrongdoing, every sin, every, every bad thing, in a sense, circle ba circles back to him ontologically, he can he can actually decide to do that and i would i would um and i don't want to go too far in that direction but i would have some caution about being too um uh too hung up on legal on juridical language in the bible because it se it, it seems to me that in a lot of places it points to something else. So yes, there are covenantal curses, but the the point of it isn't, you know, God set up his this law, now he has to obey it. It's what does that point to as the way that God interacts with us? And I'm not sure I've got a good answer for that, but I, you know, just because there's a strong juridical language in the Bible uh, which is definitely true and which is definitely important doesn't mean we necessarily, ha you know, have to think of God in that lens. And you're, I, you're, I'm not yeah, saying so that's what you guys are doing, but I would, I, yeah. I would just have that. Yeah, yeah. Your use I of think you guys yeah, so, so that's that's no, so that's really helpful. So I think, I mean, this question uh, using Aquinas here is actually, I mean, it raises, I think, a, just a really hard question for everyone. Um, because on any terms, right, you can have it, it's, it's, it's an interesting, it's interesting that Aquinas takes this line, because I would view it almost as a uh, kind of extremely voluntaristic conception of God, yeah. to be able to say something like, well, look, he could just, he can just decide to forgive without any well, rational is sovereign, basis, because he's he? God, <laughs> right? No, no, he is, right? But, <laughs> but it's a, it's a sovereignty, which is, in one sense, intrinsically bounded yeah. um, by God's own nature. And um, that nature, as we understand it, is itself intrinsically bounded by the ways in which God has disclosed himself to yeah. us. Um, and so it does become this really deep question of like, well, could God for si forgive sins without the cross? Could God restore us to glory? However we, however we cash out what happens at the cross. Could God, in fact, do uh, unwork all the effects of sin and unite us with His essence without acting in history to do anything? Well, there, there's Pos talk, talk. probably right. <clears throat> so if if it's a problem for PSA, it's a problem for a whole lot else. But but as man, well that God is able to do this. Th Thomas Adam, Thomas isn't the best way to ask that question because um, while he, while he does do that with forgiveness. Um, He's asking just a very, a very specific question at that point, and 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 then as he as he goes on to develop his account, what he's trying to do is pull together as many things as he possibly can under the work of Christ. 
So, so I mean, he goes on to develop a notion of, of fittingness, which is different from Anselm's. So Anselm has a very aesthetic notion of fittingness, uh, a, way, a way that things are, are appropriate uh, to God. Um, but what Thomas does is he uses it to, to in, the, in another sense of the word, it has to do with bringing things together, like bringing together the pieces of a puzzle. And then, so, so what he does that's just amazing is, um, is pull together the bulk of the history of the doctrine to that point and say, yeah, God was doing all of this through the Christ. So could he have accomplished forgiveness or could he have just forgiven our sin? Yes. But uh, what would that have left? Um, you know, that, that would have left a whole host of things undone. And the way that he chose to deal with this problem addresses not only the problem of forgiveness, but the problem of our, of our debt, uh, our debt of guilt, our debt of punishment, of our, the example that we need, of a revelation of his love. You know, he, he, so he's pulling together a whole bunch of the tradition. So we can use him to affirm things, but he's, all, he, he's wanting to affirm far more than, than just what Pascal's pointing out, although what he's saying is definitely there. Yeah. Um, it's funny. You, you. No, yeah. I mean, yeah. if go for it. I was... If God can... Yeah. Sorry. No. <laughs> I see the Pascal. French right now. Go for it. You see you see the floor to the to, to the representative from France. Okay. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, In no, honor I, of Calvin, though. I... I... <laughs> <laughs> Alright, come on. Get off it. <laughs> No, no, I, I, I think that's exactly right. I mean, if you know, if God can just sovereignly forgive sin, then where does that leave the cross? I agree that it's a question that's raised, but it's a question that's raised because penal substitution doesn't make much sense as a doctrine. As you said, there's plenty of other um, theories that uh, that still account for the cross, but you just don't need penal substitution anymore. Um, I, and I was yeah. going to say something else, but I forgot what it is. Yeah, so the point about the tension between uh, justice on the one hand and mercy on another, I mean, that's that's exactly the point of uh, the self-revelation of God in Jesus Christ. It's that he redefines what what those attributes mean you know the cross is not an except you know it's the thing i wrote in my email the cross is not an exception to god's power it's god's own definition of what power means which then challenges and breaks our own our own human notions of power uh, and similarly god's mercy is not a something that's separate from his justice or, or something that's in tension with his justice it's his own definition of justice. And because we can't help ourselves, because we cannot save ourselves, he just writes off our debt like that. And if we think that that's in tension with justice, then we're the ones who have problems because his mercy is equal to his justice. Here's, here's where I'd push. Here's where I'd push. Um, sure. I, I hear that. Uh, and it's actually interesting on all this stuff that we've been parsing right now. Uh, a guy named Ad Adonis Vidu, I've not met him, but his his book Atonement, Law, and Justice is fascinating. He's been tracing um, legal theories 
and atonement theories and corresponding them. And actually, Adam, he he cites your article on Aquinas's notion of fittingness. So so just so you know, but um and and but he parses these different layers of necessity uh, in both Rome. Catholic and Protestant thinkers, and 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 there's so there's varying interpretations even of Calvin. Is it absolute necessity? Is it hypothetical necessity? And and that's not exactly the kind of hypothetical necessity that other people have talked about. Um, but I, I think that, that the problem with your way of parsing it, Pascal, in my view, is that yes, the cross redefines our notions of power and justice and mercy and all of these things. My problem is that the way that you are formulating it seems to be the case that God is redefining it even over against his own prior uh, definitions of justice and and forgiveness and retribution and things like that, that he has revealed in the scriptures and in his own self, you know, prior self-revelation uh, to Israel in the sacrificial system, in the covenant, in the history of the judges, and all these things, they presuppose um, this notion that that justice is caught up with not only distributive concerns but also retributive concerns. They also I mean, presuppose it, that God can be a human being. Y- yeah, <laughs> I okay. Sorry for being trolly, but I mean, I you know that all of that retribution language. All I mean. You know, the punishment is self-inflicted. The, the the retribution is real, but it's it's not it's 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 not God punishing sin. It's us punishing ourselves and but God see, warning us. Then we're back to that. We're back to that. Same, well, a I don't think that makes I, a I don't think that that is does justice to the language of retribution. Uh, in scriptures, in fact, you go to you go. You're dealing with layers of causality there, uh, divine and human causality. It's funny. You go back to like Second Kings 17. There's this fascinating passage where it talks about how it gives two it gives two accounts of the fall of the northern kingdom to Assyria. And the first few verses it talks about all these you know the political intrigues of the kings and how uh, Assyrians came in and 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 decimated them and whatever. But then right after that. And, and there's this very political human, okay, clearly they chose, they made some foolish choices, and then they were destroyed. But right after that, it says very clearly, and God hand, God punished them for their all of their idolatries, and he brought on them the curses that he, that he threatened them with. And so there's this very, like at a human level, yes, there's a self-chosen folly. right? But at the, at the divine level, there's, there's an assertion of dual layers of causality here in which your self the the consequences that accrue your self-chosen you know your violations of 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 things those are me imposing these consequences upon you and he won't and there there's 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 a there's a refusal to depersonalize god's activity in handing over and you see the same thing in passages like leviticus 26 there's a section there where he's threatening curses and he says if you will if you do, reject my decrees and abhor my laws and violate my commands, then I will do this to you. And he, and he goes on and he says, if you walk against me and he says, it's very, and it, yes, it's anthropomorphic language and, and so on and so forth, but it's still pointing to a reality of I myself will walk contrary to you. So I, I don't want to, like Adam says, we can't, it, it, that I'm scared of your, re, your reducing move because it, a, what it does to the doctrine of revelation 
B, it, I still think it's it neglects the reality that God has created the order. It's God's maintain it's currently maintained order as well. Um, sorry, it just again that's that's my. But we don't necessarily need to be scared of the reducing move, though, um, because it can be very energizing. Um, so 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 one thing so one thing for example that literature that that goes along these lines within within the atonement is doing. Is it's is really pushing folks who have more traditional views to to reevaluate their view of justice, so that it, it also is becoming less one dimensional. Uh, so so in that sense, I really I, I really appreciate what Pascal's doing uh, because it is contributing to an overall movement where we're saying uh, yes, justice has these 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 different aspects to it, and on the one hand, it. It, it, it abolishes and destroys and, and, and punishes sin. On the other hand, it, it, it establishes and creates uh, a life-giving and nurturing sort of justice um, that, that's immensely po- immensely positive and nourishing. So, I mean, ultimately, any reductionistic account is harmful. On the other hand, in in you know, in dialogue, uh, it can be very helpful as a spurn to to, to further creative work. And in that sense, I, I, th- I think I've seen that happen in substantial ways. Uh, so I, I really appreciate that. It is, I guess I'll, I'll, I'll mitigate and say what it, I'll, or I'll, I'll, you know, pull back and say what, what I'm. I want to affirm what he affirms. I just don't like what he denies. I also want to affirm what he, some of what he's <laughs> denying. So, so the problem isn't the affirmation; it's the denials, in a sense. Does that make Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, Pascal, I'm going to give you the last word before I wrap us up because we do have to wrap up time wise. Um, we do. Yeah. Sorry. We got to, this, gotta... this, this, this isn't a 12 hour thing. I was no. lied to. I, you were li- I'm sorry. Actually, you you were lied to. We will bring you back on though. We'll definitely do that. Total bait and switch. That's how we roll around here. Yeah. <laughs> we'll, we'll talk about, uh, we'll talk about Mariology next time. Oh, Mariology. Yeah, that'd, that'd be great. That'd be great. Um, so any any last thought or should I just wrap it for you? Uh, no, I would. Uh, yeah, I would. I mean, I would, you know, to continue on the on the Catholic vein, I would I would say that I would warn against uh, two literal readings of the Bible and especially the Old Testament, which must always be read from the vantage point, not just of the New Testament, but of the cross specifically and any language of punishment must be read read in the light of the scriptures that say that Jesus was punished by Pilate and Caiaphas and everyone on this conference call and and not by God and on on divine on divine wrath and retribution and so on uh, you know Chrysostom has this great line where he talks about where he he gets the example of a doctor who's restraining uh, someone who's delirious, and the person who's delirious, the doctor is retra- restraining him, and the person who's delirious thinks uh, he's angry, he's punishing me, and no, he's not. He's just he's just trying to restrain him because he's delirious and he wants to help him and heal him, and that's that's how he talks about the wrath language in the Bible. And if that's good enough for uh, St. John Chrysostom, it's good enough for me. So I guess I, guess I would finish on that. All right. Well, hey, we're going to wrap it up. Um, 
just we'll have a couple of probably some relevant links. Uh, I've got a long post on this, probably a link to um, Adam's book on atonement. And then uh, if Pascal's got a couple he wants to forward to us, we'll we'll we'll, we'll peg those down as well. Yeah, I'll, <laughs> peg. Um, I'll peg post the thing well. I sent you guys. Yeah, that'd be great. Uh, so this was great, and uh, thank you again, Adam, and thank you again, Peg, for joining us. Um, until next time, though, feel free to share uh, this with anybody you feel will benefit. Rate and review the show, and and God be with you. <laughs>